Our sermon text today is Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 12. Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 12. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion. And Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right. And has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager to seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will appear quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. This, friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I attended a retreat this past week for ministers in the Church of God. Every uh, winter, we have a, a retreat for all of the pastors and chaplains and other kinds of ministers in the Church of God in Michigan, uh, usually over on the west side of the state. And uh, it's a wonderful time of being refreshed and connecting with other ministers. And there's an educational component, too. There's usually someone who comes in to, to speak about a certain topic of interest. And this year, this past week, the topic of interest was discipleship. And the emphasis was on what it means to follow Jesus. And I emphasize the word follow because that word is really significant. Uh, the, the speaker, the presenter, emphasized this difference, and it really stood out to me. There, there is a difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus, right? There's a difference between saying that you're a Christian and living as a disciple. A disciple is a follower, a learner, one who um, seeks to know and understand and live out to imitate the one that they are following. Yeah. There's a difference between experiencing conversion, salvation maybe, and living the life of discipleship. And in some ways, we can see this as a difference between emphasizing your own personal needs, maybe your own spiritual need for salvation or whatever, uh, and, and emphasizing, on the other hand, the needs of those around you, the, the needs of others. It's the difference between being a consumer of Jesus and approaching Jesus as one who will live to imitate and embody his way. The big difference between those two. And the, the speaker, the presenter said that usually we think of the first category, those, those um, f- what I'm pointing out with my left hand, <laughs> those things about salvation and conversion and being a Christian or, or having that label, believing in Jesus. We think of all of those as normal and expected and required. That's what it takes to be a Christian. But that other stuff, that discipleship business, that actually imitating Jesus, that's sort of uh, less natural. We leave that to the super Christians. Um, It's not necessarily required. Maybe it's optional. That's functionally how a lot of us think about it. Imagine, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but imagine if I asked you to raise your hand, um, raise your hand if you consider yourself a Christian it might be relatively easy for you to raise your hand. But if I were to modify that one word and ask you to raise your hand if you consider yourself to be a disciple, you might also raise your hand, but there might be a little bit of hesitation. You might have to think a little bit harder about it. Am I really a follower of Jesus? Or do I just claim his name? Being a disciple of Jesus is not about living perfectly or believing perfectly or, or, or keeping all of the rules or doing all of the right actions in order to earn God's favor. It's not about praying the right kind of prayer or being baptized in the right way or going to church regularly. Being a disciple is about being a learner, being a follower, one who studies the life of Jesus learns from his example, and seeks to imitate him in all of our words and thoughts and actions. There's the internal life of your thoughts 
that needs to be conformed to the way of Jesus. There's the external path of your words, the communication you make with others that needs to be conformed to the way of Jesus. And what you choose to do, your actions, need to be conformed to the way of Jesus. It's a whole body commitment to following the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is really what this whole thing is about. What this whole work of Christianity is about. Uh, It's not about coming to a building on Sundays and worshiping God. It's about transforming or being transformed so that we live according to this way. And so we study the way of Jesus as we worship on Sunday mornings. That's That's all good stuff. And in this season, we've been studying the way of Jesus as he fulfills what the Old Testament prophets, what he knew as scripture, predicted and came true in his way of life in his teachings, in his life, in his ministry, and in his death and resurrection. We're continuing that series today by looking at this passage from Isaiah 58 to see how Jesus is our model for living righteously, living in the kingdom of God. Now, Isaiah 58 is a really difficult and shocking chapter. Uh, We left out a couple of verses at the end. The whole chapter, all 14 verses, can really strike to the core of our beings if we listen to it carefully. Isaiah is offering a very strong critique of the Israelites, the people of God. He's done this a few times already in this long book of prophecy. Here he's critiquing them because of their shallow worship of God, their meaningless pretensions of morality. Day after day they seek me out, he writes. They seem eager to know my ways. Seeking God is a good thing. It's what we are designed and created to do. Seeking God is another way of describing the goal of a disciple. To follow Jesus, to seek after Jesus. It means kind of the same thing. But if we seek God for self-serving reasons, then it becomes rather meaningless. Isaiah writes, why have we fasted and you haven't noticed? (laughs) As if by doing this spiritual discipline of abstaining from food for a period of time, God might smile on us and be pleased with us. As, As if that were the goal of doing that kind of spiritual discipline or any spiritual discipline. Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? God, look at how humble I'm being. It seems a little self defeating to say that, doesn't it? Or, why have we prayed for healing and you haven't answered that prayer? We're moving a little bit beyond what Isaiah wrote, but it's a question that we might ask. Why do we trust in God if there's just going to be hardship and tragedy? If I have accepted Jesus as my Savior, then why doesn't Jesus actually save me from every trouble that I face? We could ask the same kinds of questions. But as soon as our religious faith turns into a self-serving affair, then we are left behind by the movement of God's kingdom. The kingdom is moving on with us, hopefully, or with us. The, The question isn't about meeting just our internal needs or having our faith benefit ourselves only. If we only do that, then we're missing out on participating in God's mission in this world. We might focus on ourselves so much that we ignore the poor and the oppressed. 
we might risk mistreating others or pointing fingers at those with whom we disagree or speaking maliciously against those whom we dislike or think are wrong in one way or another. Anytime we fall into any of those traps, some of which are much easier to fall into than others, anytime that we behave less than the way of Jesus demands of us, and we notice that we're doing this, we have a few options as to how to respond. When we find ourselves pointing fingers, talking maliciously, harming others, ignoring needs, we can respond in a few different ways. We could feel badly about ourselves. Oh, I'm such a terrible Christian. Woe is me. But in a sort of backhanded way, that's more of the same kind of talk. Look at how humble I'm being, God. Why haven't you noticed me? We could think I'm such a bad example of a Christian. Or uh, we could just ignore the inconsistencies between what we say we believe and how we choose to believe. I follow Jesus, but I'm still going to talk negatively about my neighbor or my whoever. Um, We could choose that. Or we could look to Jesus again and reorient ourselves again according to his way of life. I'm, I'm leaning toward that third one, by the way, the third of those three options. hope that's clear. Rhetorically, I think it made sense. <laughs> Returning to Jesus again and again and again is the theme of the life of a disciple. Because none of us just magically becomes perfect in God's eyes. It's always a constant refrain to return to God, to change our minds again. That's what the word repentance is really about. To repent. Jesus said the, 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 when he announced the, the kingdom, when he announced the good news, he said, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. And that word repent often makes us think about feeling sorry for our sins, which is part of it. But the word actually means to change your mind, to change your mind about what you're doing or how you think about yourself or how you feel about somebody else. Change your mind and, and live differently as a result of having a changed mind. So to return to God is another way of saying to repent or to change your mind again and again and again, always turning back to to God. That word return stood out to me during this retreat this past week. On on Tuesday evening, we all gathered together for a service of worship and, and then we shared communion together. And in the meditation of the reflection that led up to that communion time, we worked with another passage from Isaiah a little bit earlier. Isaiah 30, uh, verse 15 says, Thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Returning again and again and again is the salvation that God offers to us. We can always return to God. We can always come back to him and change our minds and move in a new direction to be in alignment with his way. No matter how many times we have strayed from God, no matter how far away we have moved from God, God's invitation is always simply to return. Again, and again, and again. In our passage today, Isaiah 58, we see that when we return to these principles of God's kingdom, especially when we care for the poor and free the oppressed, 
Then Isaiah writes, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. That is really good news. Isaiah is very clear. The kind of fasting, the kind of religious devotion and practice that God desires is releasing the chains of injustice, setting the oppressed free, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, giving shelter to those who don't have it wherever and whenever we find them, regardless of who they are, whether they look like us, speak our language, belong to our group. Because the reality is all of humanity is interconnected and interrelated. We are all related to each other just by virtue of being God's creation, part of the human race. And so one person's suffering is my suffering whether I'm close to that person and they're right next to me or whether they're on the other side of the world and I've never met them before. Truly seeking God requires that we seek the best interests of the poor and the oppressed among us. And as long as we stand by doing nothing while others suffer, as long as we point fingers and talk maliciously, then we're not truly seeking God. Isaiah calls us to spend ourselves on behalf of the poor and the oppressed, to give ourselves so that others might live. That is the way of Jesus. That's the way of life that Jesus demonstrates and illustrates for us. I mentioned last week, and I'll remind you again, of the encounter that Jesus had with a woman who was caught in adultery. And the Pharisees brought this woman before him to have him approve of her death, to have her stoned to death because of her sin. But Jesus, seeing the situation, recognizing that she was being manipulated and used in a number of ways by these Pharisees to try to get him trapped, he realized that grace was the way, of, the way forward here, and he found a way for her to experience mercy and to not be put to death. And he allowed her to walk away free. He freed someone who was very much... In, in control of others. At another point in his ministry, he found ten lepers. Or they found him. They called out to him as he was traveling through the, the, the way. And uh, they asked for healing. And so he healed them. And of course, they all went away. And one of them came back. And it was a Samaritan who came back. And Jesus made a point of that. Uh, these lepers had been separated from their community because of their leprosy, because of their disease. It was a contagion and they had to be quarantined. We've heard something about that lately in world news, right? Um, we, we understand that happens. Uh, but Jesus restored them to wholeness of life, to fullness of life in their community. He, he brought healing to those who were, who were suffering. There was a widow who only had one son. And that son died. And so now the widow was completely left alone. And Jesus walked up to the casket as the funeral procession was happening. And he touched it and the son came back to life. And he restored the son to his mother. So many times Jesus restores and sets free those who are, who are burdened, who are weighed down. How many times did Jesus release someone who had been afflicted by an evil spirit or several evil spirits who, that were controlling their lives and making them do negative things, harmful things to themselves or others? Jesus sets them free. He releases the oppressed. He feeds the hungry. He fed the 5,000 
After a long day of preaching, I imagine the people got pretty hungry. And there was no food. And so he fed them. He fed the 4,000 in another scene later. He took care of those who were closest to him. He provided for their deepest needs, even his own disciples. Jesus washed their feet. In a beautiful story in John 13, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples, a servant's task to show that the master is no better than the servant and that those who lead should serve and and to demonstrate the upside-down nature of the kingdom. And Jesus washes even his betrayer's feet. Judas Iscariot was part of that circle and Jesus washed his feet knowing what was going to happen. Jesus brings freedom to those who are oppressed, release to those who who are under bondage, and even forgiveness to those who would harm him. He forgave Peter as well. After his death and resurrection, in the scope of that scene, uh, Peter had denied that he even knew Jesus. He denied him three times. And after the resurrection, Jesus finds Peter and pulls him aside and three times restores him to fellowship. Restores him saying, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. So there's restoration of relationship and restoration to mission, to service. All at the same time, Jesus releases those that are under bondage. Over and over and over again. Jesus embodies wholehearted worship of God through compassionate care for the poor and the oppressed. Jesus is the one that Isaiah names here at the end of our passage, the repairer of broken walls. That's Jesus. The restorer of streets with dwellings. That's who Jesus is. He restores us so that we can live well in community with each other. So that the broken pieces of our lives might be fit together to make something new. Something that is uh, full of life. That's, That's what Jesus does. And Jesus even has the audacity and the boldness to call his followers to do the same thing. To live that same kind of life that he has lived. Repairing broken walls, restoring streets with dwellings, caring for the poor and the oppressed. There was a time that Jesus was uh, addressed by a rich young man. This, is, this story is recorded in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Each record this story. A young man comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, why do you call me good? No one's good but the Father. Oh, well. Good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? How can I earn my way into heaven? Which is totally not the point. But Jesus plays with this idea for a little while. Well, you tell me. If you want to... If you want to gain life, to enter life, obey the commandments. And what are the commandments? And the young man says, well, I've obeyed the Ten Commandments. Um, Honor your father and mother. Keep the Sabbath day holy. I haven't killed anybody or stolen anything, so I'm doing okay. Oh, yes, and I love my neighbor as myself. He identified that's not one of the Ten Commandments, but another pretty important one. I've done all those things. What more is there for me to do? And so Jesus looked at this man, loved him. And said, if you want to be complete, English translations will say perfect. But perfectionists in the room strike that word. If you want to be complete, if you want to be whole, 
then here's what you need to do. He says to this man, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and then come and follow me. It wasn't just about being released from the hold of all of his possessions, living an ascetic life and having nothing to his name. It was selling possessions and giving to the poor. That's going back to Isaiah 58. This is the kind of life that Jesus chose to live. If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, then you're living the kind of life that, uh, that God wants you to live. The young man went away sad because he was, he, had, he was very rich. He had very many things, Scripture tells us. But it doesn't tell us if he did it or not. Maybe he did. Following Jesus isn't just about a personal decision that we make. Praying a prayer, uh, accepting Christ, being baptized. It's not about those instantaneous moments. Being a disciple of Jesus means learning to imitate Jesus by sacrificing ourselves so that others might live. And Jesus drives this point home in the Sermon on the Mount, the passage that Shane read for us from Matthew 5, 13 to 20. Jesus sometimes says, I am the light of the world. But here he says, you guys are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And uh, if you keep all the commandments, that's great. But you've got to teach others to obey them too. He passes the task of kingdom life and instruction and discipleship on to us so that we raise others up to follow him as well. It's easy to believe in Jesus. It's hard to follow him. It's easy to focus on ourselves. It's hard to serve others. It's easy to come to church to worship God and be fed by a sermon, whatever that means. It's hard to go out there and worship God by feeding the hungry. It's easy to point fingers and talk maliciously about someone. It's hard to spend yourself on that person's behalf. But if we're going to follow Jesus, then we must learn and return again and again and again to seek after him and to imitate him. So your challenge this week is to identify one person, just one person in your life that you are tempted to point fingers at or talk maliciously about. Somebody that you kind of think is less good than you, maybe, or not as worthwhile of a person as you. Who, somebody that you disagree with or somebody that you think is just out and out wrong about something. Uh, someone that you might, you might uh, put into that category. Identify just one person. <laughs> hopefully there's one. Hopefully there's not a hundred. I don't know. Uh, but if you can find just one, then spend yourself on behalf of that person. Or ask that person to join with you in spending yourselves on behalf of those who are in need. And see if that doesn't change your mind about that person. Maybe if we focus on what Jesus focused on and what Isaiah calls us to focus on, maybe uh, the goal of unity in Christ might be achieved. Maybe. That's only if Jesus knew what he was talking about, I guess. Let's pray together. God, we give you thanks that you alone are worthy of our praise.
And we give you thanks that you alone are able and willing to take us back time and time and time again, every time that we need to return to you. We give you thanks that you have entrusted us with this tremendous mission of serving you and of raising up those who are, who are low. Help us to do so freely and willingly and to receive that help from others when we need it, but not to hold on to that help, but to pass it on to, to others as well. Draw us together in Christ so that we might, uh, through our love for each other, through our love for the world, let the world know that we are your disciples, are your followers, your people. Help us to be disciples and not just believers. And help us always to grow in you through all of life's circumstances. These things we pray in the name of Christ, our Lord and our leader. And all of God's people said, Amen.